It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. On the show today, I have Julia Havisbaum. Uh, Julia is an entrepreneur and writer who addresses the problems and solutions of humans in the machine age. She, uh, she was described by James Harding, former editor of The Times and of the BBC News and founder of the uh, Tertis uh, Media as one of the most important public intellectuals in the UK. And we're going to be talking about her book, which I love, love this title, The Simplicity Principle, Six Steps Towards Clarity in a Complex World. Six Steps to Clarity in a Complex World. Uh, you know, as humans, we like to make things more complex than they are. Julia, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm joining you from, from London in the UK. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you here. And, and uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, before the show and, and how, as humans, we just have this innate ability to overcomplicate everything. I mean, I, it doesn't matter. It could be a, a relationship to, you know, liter, uh, literature. We can, we can make it harder than we need to. What is up with us? Why do we do that? Well, it's a paradox, really, because in some ways we crave simplicity. You know, this whole movement now towards calm and sleep and mindfulness is all part of our modern personality saying, hang on, we're, we're, we're overloaded. But you're completely right that we overcomplicate. And I think we do that for a couple of reasons. And I've written about it. One is that we've sold ourselves the belief that technology makes things simpler and it doesn't always uh, now, that might seem a bit odd to say in the middle of a pandemic when we're all deeply dependent on the Internet and video. Uh, but the reality is that quite often it makes working life more, not less complicated. But the other reason is that humans are, of course, very complicated emotionally. We like complication, even though we crave simplicity. And so I've tried to write about how do we get the balance? How do we do our day jobs and live our lives? keeping it simple where we need to, but also respecting that human beings are deeply complicated. So I want to respect what's real, but also get out of the way the stuff that I feel we need to drop. Yes. You know what? And I think one of the lessons that it's taken me forever to learn is, A, as humans, we are complex and we're all flawed. And I think that if you come from that mindset that we are all complex and we're all flawed and we just need to give each other a break, I, you look at today's world and I think that, you know, uh, most of the problems that I see in today's world come from other people judging other people. You know, yes. instead of trying to collaborate, it's all about, you know, somebody pointing the finger and judging somebody else who then points the finger and judges those people and nobody's listening because we're all too busy judging each other. And you got bitter feelings. You have war that breaks out. You have all these scenarios uh, because we're so busy not giving each other a break. Just, you know, just judging each other. But 
You're completely right. And one of the triggers, I think, for all of this polarization and hate is actually fear. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're very fearful. And part of that fear is has been amplified by the fact there's just so much going on. So our brains are in a constant stress response. And neuroscience is our friend here. It tells us, and I've written quite a lot of case studies in the book, it tells us that if we get overloaded, if we have too much to think about and too much to do and too much distraction, it actually really makes us emotionally melt down and break down and get overloaded. And that comes out as anger. That comes out as aggression uh, often. And it really masks a fear. And what I think we do all want is to simplify our lives and not be overwhelmed. Um, that means going to trusted news sources, people like your good self. That means dialing down the distraction. Um, a big number for me in my simplicity principle, it's really a celebration of the idea of simplicity and a very particular number, which is six. And the reason for that is that six is less than seven and seven is the limit of our working memory. So really, folks, if you're doing more than seven things a day, forget it. You know, if you're trying to hang out with more than seven people at once, please don't. And I, I say this as somebody in a country that is currently governed by what's called a rule of six for COVID, which is um, actually weirdly sensible because it, it mirrors the reality that humans, you know, when we're at scale dealing with loads of colleagues at the same time or a million gazillion things, it, it, it puts us under stress. Stress is what makes us very nervy and edgy and jumpy. Um, it's not that my, I haven't written a book that says well, it's all about candles and calm and if only we would meditate and be mindful 17 hours out of 24, everything would be great. Because, you know, I'm a busy working mother and I'm an entrepreneur and I have people who work for me and I'm constantly facing the kind of stresses that we all face. So I, I hope that what people take away from my ideas is this is a person who keeps it real. Right. But what's right. real is having it too much when you're all maxed out isn't good. And I agree with you that fundamentally we're kind, we're considerate, but if we're overloaded, we forget how to be kind and considerate and how to keep it simple. And I'll just say that the simplicity principle is named in honor of my um late great friend Maya Angelou was my mentor and friend. Uh, I was her book publicist when I was very young, uh, 30 years ago. And she always used to say to me, don't make things complicated, keep it simple, sweetie. And when I began to write about personal productivity, strategy for business, all the things that I now do for a living, that phrase kept coming back to me. And I thought, you know, she was right. If you take a position that let's start from simplicity and bring in complexity when it's right, then everything falls into place. I love that. That's a great story. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, phrases that I can't remember who I picked this up from some, some from somebody. And that is what would this look like if it was simpler? Yes. You know, which is a, a great question to ask. Uh, um, all right. So, uh, Real quick, uh, again, the book is called The Simplicity Principle. What was the catalyst? What was the motivation to write about the this simplicity principle? 
Well, I've been writing for a long time about overload and about um, how we are over-dependent on technology in bad ways. Obviously, you know, some of AI is fabulous and nanotechnology and the internet and so on and so forth, but that we're also kind of tending to forget our human limits. And, and I've used myself as a guinea pig all of these years, so I notice when I'm overloaded and I notice when I'm not productive. And I'm quite a high energy person. I'm interested in lots of things. And I felt I was getting really dragged down by daily bureaucracy in my head and by systems and processes that just didn't feel like it was getting me from A to B. And I love the American can-do spirit. I've been to America, you know, 60, 70 times in my life. It's my sort of second home spiritually. And I love the way Americans in particular just know how to cut through and say what matters, particularly in business literature. And I thought, you know, my next book, I want to focus on that. How do you keep it simple? How do you really say, I want to get to the end of the day and say, I feel good. I feel in control of my life. Um, and so there's really two big principles in the book. One is keep it simple, sweetie. And the other is stay close to nature. And what I mean by that is not just get out in nature. Don't be in a concrete jungle. Connect with the seasons. Connect with um, the, uh, the outdoors, which not everybody can do, but you can even look at a picture Research has shown, you know, if you even look at a picture of trees, it calms you down. So imagine what it's like when you're actually amongst trees. But when I say keep it real and keep it connected to nature, I also mean connect with your own nature. You know, get to know yourself. The simplicity principle is really about being honest with yourself. Am I good in what I'm doing in my life? Am I in the right job? Am I in the right relationship? Am I going about life with one hand tied behind my back. Who am I as an individual? And my my sort of marker for individuality is another six-sided item, you know, me and the number six, I've already told you, and that's the snowflake. Um, every single snowflake that falls from the sky is actually individual. Uh, its principles are the same of its uh, hexagonal shape, but each one is individual, and each one of us is individual. And even though we belong in teams, even though we have to pull together as a society, as a community, as family, it's much easier to do that if you are coming at that from a position of knowing who you are. And I worry that the modern world complicates that, takes us away from the simple truth, which is even am I a morning person or even am I a people person? And so I'm a big advocate of that of connecting quite simply to your natural state in order to get the best out of yourself and, and people around you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I think that is probably one of the hardest things to do is to connect with yourself and say, this is who I am. And more importantly, this is who I am and I feel good about it. Uh, I think that, you know, the media throws so much junk at us uh, of the perfect family, the perfect physique, uh, all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, they take people who are already attractive and then they, they Photoshop all the blemishes out, you know, and making even right. more attractive to it to the point where it's ridiculous. There's just no way that we as, you know, uh, average beings could achieve that level of, of perfection. 
So I agree with you. I think that connecting with your true self, what is it that I really want? What really makes me happy? Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, even asking that question, am I happy? Not that it's good or bad. It's just a great question. Am I happy? And if, if the answer is no, then why not? Is it the relationship? Is it the job? Is it whatever? Right. And so I think that's a great, great question to, uh, or great thought to ask. Let me ask you this. I want to talk about the uh, one of the things in the book. You talk about motivation matters. Specifically in the book, you talk about how to motivate employees to increase productivity. And I think this is something that, you know, as an as entrepreneur, I, I'm always looking for a way to increase pro productivity. So talk about this. How can I get my employees to increase their productivity? Well, thank you. I think the first thing to say is it tracks very much to what we just spoke about individuality. You know, I've been a small time but quite prolific employer of, of people on payroll and people as freelancers now for, for nearly 30 years. And in the end, you have to bring people with you. They have to believe in what they're doing as well as believing in you. And you have to really, as I say, connect with their individuality. How do they like to live their lives? Employers at a corporate level are beginning to realize that if you give people freedom to design within reason how they work and when they work and where they work, you might get better productivity. And productivity is important because productivity is really another word for saying people are engaged. Productivity used to mean at the beginning of industrialization that you would treat workers like cogs in a wheel, you know, the, 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 the so-called tailorism and so on and so forth. But really, employers have always understood that unless you're going to exploit people, which nobody wants to do, you need to bring people with you and you need to motivate them. So that's the first thing is creating an environment that people want to work and giving them some degree of flexibility and choice about how they do work. I think it also tracks back to that point about motivation, which is it's a myth to say that when you're young, you've just got to suck it up and do everything that you're told to do um, because that's the price you have to pay for getting into the employment market. That's one way of looking at it. But I think the sooner you engage with what you like to do, the sooner you're going to do what you like really well, and everyone wins. So even a very young person going into their first job, I would say, respect your ability to decide, do you like it? And if you don't, notice it. It doesn't mean walk out then and there, but it means take note of it. And you'll note, Bert, that I'm putting a lot of emphasis on the worker rather than the boss, because ultimately, the worker has to tell the boss what they want in order for this contract to work. Uh, it's always been a very top-down approach, and I'm for a much more bottom-up approach because ultimately that's how you get really good um, productivity. Productivity is not a dirty word. It's creativity, right. which is not to say, you know, managers have to lead and manage. So I'm not coming up with some sort of utopian ideal where there's no rules and you can say, oh, I'm not coming into work today because I don't feel like it. I'm talking about what is the purpose? It's a big word in the corporate world. What is the purpose? What is the point of work? And I do think everybody should ask themselves that. Yeah. 
I think that one of the things that I'm noticing uh, back to this whole simplicity movement and, and, and the whole, you know, bottom up type of thinking that you're talking about is, you know, uh, I, uh, a lot of millennials now, you know, people keep talking about how the millennials are different. And, and in one sense they are, you know, they're, they're, they are, uh, there's a whole movement of uh, retire early and debt free. Uh, and so in order to retire early, they, they really, uh, uh, what do you call it, focus on living a very simple life and, and not spending a bunch of money on distractions and things of that nature. Uh, you know, right now, I think the average person spends like $1,200 or $1,500 a year just on Starbucks type coffee. Yeah. And so, if, and so, you know, think about it. If you cut that out and you take that $1,500 bucks, uh, and, and you put it away, um, how much more will that money be worth in, you know, five, 10, 15 years? And, and the answer is a lot. It's incredible, uh, you know, what you can do without, you know, going off the, the rail, so to speak. The, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, th there's just so many ways that keeping it simple, keeping it minimal, you know, not only helps you financially, but helps you spiritually, helps you mentally. Absolutely. You know, we all know that a cluttered environment, like a really messy desk, just is a negative thing. You, you walk into a negative, uh, a, a messy desk, and all of a sudden it's, you can feel the energy kind of just drain from you. It's like, oh my gosh. And so we are constantly doing this. We're constantly adding more junk. Uh, in fact, I love the term that, that you have in the book, infobesity. Infobesity. Yes. I think what a great term. Talk about infobesity. Well, infobesity is um, easy to understand, isn't it? We know about obesity. We know that we need to look after our physical and our mental health and that we do that with really three ways, all of us, anywhere on the world, in the world at any time. And that is we look after um, what we eat. We look after what we do with our bodies for physical exercise and we look after how we rest. And infobesity is about a different kind of health problem that I call social health. And that also requires three things. One is you have to curb your intake of knowledge. Otherwise, you get just infobese glutted on too much news, on constant feeds, on fake news. The second is you have to look after your networks and your relationships to have good social health. And the third is you have to have some control over your time. And your time horizons, like, a, you know, being being attacked by deadlines is no good for people. Being too short on time to get everything done is a real problem and a tyranny. So infobesity is one of those ways I've tried to use to really get into people's heads to say, oh, I get it. I don't have social health. I have complicated, you know, mixed up. Uh, ways of living my life. And I could just declutter, as you say. And the first chapter in my book is about clarity. That you know, if you have clarity, if you learn to lose things that you don't need, if you learn to embrace a certain sort of minimalism, then it makes a lot of things easier. It makes making decisions easier. It means forming habits are easier. It means connecting what your purpose is that much easier. So infobesity is one of the ways in which we can go, yeah, it's not good right now. You know, for many, infobesity equates to complexity. 
and simplicity, people do still sometimes think simplicity, as I say, means lying on a beach with a, you know, with a bit of mindfulness going on constantly, whereas clarity people can relate to. So yeah. I try to come up in my book with words and language and ideas that really help people cut through complexity in their own minds. So it's six chapters. Each one ends with six different what I call six fixes. So you can literally skim it like a recipe book and say, oh, I get it. That's what I could do right now. You know, we all need to act rather than think constantly. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I do yeah. like being described as a thinker. That was very nice. of Whoever it was that said that. But, you yeah, know, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. You've got to do stuff. You've got to put one foot in front of the other. Um, and I, I, I really want to, to help people figure that out. What do they do differently in a small way that makes a big difference? Yeah. Well, listening to you talk about this subject reminds me of there are certain uh, individuals uh, who are constantly bragging about how much they're reading every week. I'm reading a book a week or two books a week or whatever. I'm thinking, how do you master any of that? Now, if you're reading for entertainment, that's great. That's completely different because we all need entertainment. But these are, uh, let's say, business gurus who are bragging about how much they're reading, and which is great. I mean, I think reading is important. But if you're reading a book a week or two books a week or whatever it is, how do you master the material? And back to what you just said about applying it. The whole point of reading a book is to say, hey, this is new information. Let me apply it so I can check the results. And so I'm a big advocate of reading one or two or three books a year, but mastering those books. You read it over and over again. And my favorite thing to do is to not only physically read the book, but also buy the uh, audio book so I can listen to it. And hopefully after listening to it and reading it a few times, I'm ready to master some of the material and apply those three steps, six steps, whatever it is, because I bought this book to make my life better, not just to... I sincerely hope my book is one of those three books that you you learn absolutely inside out. And I shall come back, I hope, on your on your show and test you on it in six months time. But but I okay. agree with you. I, no pressure. But but I agree with you. And I think that um, I write about what I call a knowledge dashboard. That in the same way that we we know in food terms, you know, a five a day, which is a totally made up number. It's just a marketing campaign that's worked for fifty years five a day, you really want to have, you know, maybe six a day of knowledge. And that can be what you read long, an article, a chapter in a book, or that you read short. It can be a Twitter post. It can be a Facebook feed. It can be um, a WhatsApp group discussion. Uh, but also things you hear, as you say, podcasts, things that you watch, and things that you experience live, by which I mean at the moment, you know, Zoom events. Um, and you need a good diet of information, but you also raise something very important, which is this always on stuffing yourself back to infobesity, stuffing yourself with ideas or with things. That is not a simplicity principle way to be. You need to have rest and reset. Reset is one of my chapters. You need to learn to just zone out, to be in your pajamas, to think about nothing, to have 
space to discover what you care about and what you think. And I, I definitely try and build that time in, you know, into my day, one sixth, guess what, of my day. I really try to have no agenda, to spend it being physical, not digital. It could be moving around the kitchen. It could be having a walk. It could be doing exercise. It could be doing something. But my God, we cannot live tethered to the computer all day long. It really is bad for us. Um, and also doing nothing. And I'd be the first to admit, I find it hard to do nothing. You know, I itch. But we've all got to learn a bit to reset. Yeah. Um, Ariana Huffington, who, you know, uh, is a trailblazer, and she involved me in her Thrive Global project, uh, editing her a, a social health section. But Ariana, of course, has written a lot about sleep. And I didn't want to retread that territory, which she's obviously nobody really writes about it better than her. But I wanted to introduce the idea of rest, because sometimes even when you're on holiday, you're feeding your curiosity and that's a form of reset. Uh, my daughter at the moment is traveling around Italy by herself, going to ancient ruins in Rome and she's resetting her brain. You know, she's been stuck in the house for six months. She's due to start theater school in New York. It's delayed because of COVID. She was feeling stagnant. She's gone to Italy to, 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 you know, be stimulated, that's a form of reset. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just lying down with a sleep mask, although I'm a big fan of that. So we need to sort of screen wipe, don't you think? Yes. You know, you yes. need to screen wipe and power down in order to get get the old computer back up again. Yeah, in order to reboot. That, that's the simplest thing. And I love this idea of rest and reset and interestingly enough, uh, I am uh, almost uh, 60 years old and I, uh, my body uh, is, uh, I, I was just getting a lot of aches and pains from working out and my, and so my, my, uh, uh, one of my fitness coaches said, Bert, it's, it's the fact that your body is now to the point where the ligaments in your body are, need more rest time. So you can't work out five or six days a week, your body just no longer can support that. And so it took me, uh, uh, what do you call it? A little, uh, I had to swallow my ego. I hated to do this, but yes. now I'm resting three days a week and only working out two days a week. Um, I'm sorry, four days a week. And so, uh, and so far the results have been tremendous. I, I'm, I'm, my body is now feeling good again and, it's just the reality is we do need to rest and reset. Uh, it's really interesting. It's really interesting you say that, actually, because I've, I've written a lot about the idea of um, uh, of change, of not being frightened to change, to say that's not working uh, and to tune in with what's real. And whether that's in a department, at work, with colleagues or whether that's in your own life. And. I had a similar experience. I'm 56, I don't mind saying. And I uh, was very into the gym, but also into spin classes. And I was, I loved spin classes. And in fact, I used to make a lot of business trips to New York and I just used to love SoulCycle and that I could just go in there straight away and 
I would say I was addicted to spin classes before coronavirus. And then obviously it's a high risk activity now. Um, and at the same time, my back gave out uh, halfway through lockdown in the UK. And I needed to do some rehab anyway to cut a long story short. I also realized that what I had told myself I needed and wanted, which was speed and action and, you know, high energy, I was much better served if I let my body rest and do very small movements. And so I still like my high energy exercise. And but, it, you know, you have to listen to your natural body and understand the rhythm of who you are. And that is absolutely the key to everything. Simplicity is, guess what? Quite simple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Tony Robbins talks about clarity is power. And I think that uh, that is true. And just listening to you, you know, it just reinforces the fact that simplicity is power. Clarity is power. It's very difficult to be clear when things are complex. In fact, you yes. know, it's, it's it's an absolute given. If you go out to a restaurant, especially with a group of people, and they hand you this menu that's really like an encyclopedia, right? It's like 300 choices. We're all dumbfounded. We're like, yeah, we're going to need some time. And nobody wants to make a decision as opposed to you go to a restaurant that only has a few items on the menu. You know, you can order like that. Yeah, this is what I want. Let's do it. It's an amazing thing. And again, it's I understand that a lot of us want choices, but when we have so many choices, it becomes complex and it slows down the entire process. It's just like, well, know, it's, it's, called it's called decision fatigue. President Obama very famously gave an interview to Vanity Fair where he said, you know, I wear the same suits and the same shirts. Uh, you know, I have a set of them because I've got too many important decisions to make. I don't want to clog up my brain with 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 decisions I don't need to make. And it's really actually very important um, because back to this idea of why I've chosen the number six as a, as a number to organize your life by, to you know divide your day into six sessions and to sit for six minutes with what you're thinking and not to have more than six people around you in a in a in a room or whatever is 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 that you really want to minimize that cognitive overload, that working memory cutout switch. And Having too much choice is a tyranny. Uh, I'm sorry for all those, you know, free market capitalist um, uh, business people out there. And of course, I'm one of them. But we all have to learn that actually less is more, slower is more, smaller is more. It's more sustaining to actually do things more in keeping with the human rather than the idea of the scale and the machine. Um, it, you know, to, we're in it for the long haul. You know, we want to live long, healthy lives and our businesses and our enterprises and our workplaces and our schools have got to thrive over the long term. And you asked me earlier, why did I actually write this book? Well, I wrote this book because I think things don't work well. I think, think people are not happy. The data on stress uh, in America in particular is absolutely huge. Trillions of dollars uh, spent uh, as a cost of workplace stress, you know. How we live and work is not that functional. It might seem um, inappropriate to talk about it now when you have a major, major health crisis going on and people are losing their lives and they're losing their livelihoods. But the reality is those problems weren't addressed beforehand. And if we're not careful, they won't address, be addressed afterwards. 
We don't want to live our lives, not just inefficiently, but in a sort of sick way. And that's why I wrote The Simplicity Principle, to try and say, why, why do things not feel great? Why do they not feel functional? Hang on a minute. Let's reclaim simplicity. But it's center stage in what we do. That's not to be simplistic. It's not to be naive. But it is to say, I've only got so many hours in the day. I've only got so much bandwidth. I know what the right thing to do is. You know, so I'm really trying to reconnect us in a modern way with all the benefits of the modern life to very ancient wisdom, to Aristotle, to the, the idea of, 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 of being someone who flourishes in their lives. You know, we forget as we move forward, 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 that maybe we need to stop and even look back a bit to gain that wisdom and perspective. So that's really where I'm coming from. I love it. I love it. It's great. Uh, the book, again, let me pop it up here, is The Simplicity Principle. And I took my glasses off, so I can't read the subtitle. Six Steps Towards Clarity in a Complex World. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, all right. So if somebody wants to get the book, it's available on Amazon. And I'm going to put a, a link here in the uh, notes so people can just click and go there. But if somebody wants to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about you, is there a website that people can find you at? You can Google me. That You can also go to simplicityprinciple.info, and there's a whole ton of stuff. There's podcasts. There's biographies. There's material. Um, I, I'm lucky that I have an unusual name, so I'm pretty easy to find. And I'm also on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel with some little chapters and some takeaways from the book. And I love uh, feedback. I love to, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, la, la, la. La, la, la. <laughs> Facebook. Well, thank you for stopping by. It's been super enjoyable. And thank I can't you. wait to have you back in six or seven months so you can test me on the simplicity principle and my, uh, what do you call it, my, uh, my uh, level of uh, success on it. So I'm, I'm, I can't wait to have you back in a few months and talk about it. I again. can't wait to be back. Thank you for having me. You bet. We'll talk to you later.